millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. to episode 13, unlucky for some, namely you, the listener, um, of Rule the Roost. Hello, Raj. How are you? I don't know why I'm speaking in such a monosyllabic fashion. I've just taken to it. I know. It's um, it's probably got more life in it than your normal voice, though, Do you think so? <laughs> a little bit. It's, it's, do you know what? I'll tell you what. My, uh, my ball and chain, the missus... She's always mugging me off about how I sound on this. Every every time she listens back to it, it's always, Hello, welcome to Roller Roast. Um, apparently I talk like that, which is a bit disconcerting. I, I always thought I had a vibrant, energetic voice, but apparently I'm just this monotone bore off. So well, It's better than mine, in, in all honesty. This is, I still sound like I've, I've, I've not been raised at all. I've been dragged up, but I am... Um, this is my phone voice, so if I if I was to speak in my my usual drawl, I don't think we'd we'd go down too well. Well, you you're gonna be in a familiar company this evening, Rog, given our our guest. But uh, we won't we won't talk about that yet. We've got the matter of Aston Villa. We've got to get them out of the way. Um as we did. As we did, yeah. As we did, two nil. Come on you Spurs. Um, Fantastic. Have you noticed this array of voices I'm trying to do at the moment because I'm so paranoid about sounding monotone? Um, yeah, we beat Aston Villa 2-0. That was that was phenomenal. It was a good performance. A lot of people moaned about it, but you know, I don't think we can overlook how tough it is to win away from home and to a, no, side, to a side that are decent as well. I, you know, I'm surprised people were so expectant of... Aston Villa to just roll over and expect us to give them a humping, like they were. I think they're fairly used to us doing well against Villa, but I think we've got to to bear in mind, as the lad said last week, on uh, from a Villa perspective, they've not had the greatest couple of years on in their club, and they've had a, a resurgence of late. And I think we we were um, coming head to head with them just as they were playing quite well. So to, to beat them in the manner we did and not concede is um is a great result in my opinion. I mean. Any win in the Premier League's uh, well done, especially if you contextualise it and say that the, the last time we'd played two weeks beforehand was 3-0 at home to West Ham. Not that I want to, to have to mention it again. It, um, it, it was a fantastic way to, to come back and I think um, we showed that we'd, we'd learnt a little bit from West Ham with the, the team selection and the way in which we actually went about our business on the field. So we said that we wanted to see a reaction in the performance and that's, that's exactly what we got. Yeah, um, I mean, what did you see that that differed um, in how we played? It looked like we were we were playing with a bit more width against Villa at times. I think the the, the end of the 
the first half it was it was pretty congested. We seemed to be concentrating things down the middle quite a lot. Um, I mean, I would say Andros took his goal well, but I don't think he was even intending to score. It was it was a cross, really, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was completely a cross. I think um, uh, Soldado and Holtby that both managed to to avoid it. I think Soldado would have probably tried to get his head on it. I think Holtby actually. Um, the amount of times I've seen it back now, he, he looks like he, he could get his head on it at one point and then he just ducks out of the way of it. So I think he should almost be given an assist for that. It, it almost reminds me of, uh, I think we, we drew three all against Arsenal at home one year when Tom Huddleston smacked one in with his left foot and Rafa van der Vaart jumped out of the way and let him meg him. And it, it almost reminds me of that sort of assist where him not touching the ball was just as useful as him touching it. I think what, what I quite liked as well about it... Um, I mean, well, I, I, not that I quite liked. I just it particularly galls me when players, when they either really frantically celebrate kind of a goal that they've scored by default, be it from a deflection or in a similar situation to Andros did. But it actually seemed like Andros was almost a bit embarrassed, not embarrassed about having scored a goal or that we were winning, obviously, but just that everyone was kind of running over to him celebrating, and you could see he was a bit like, yeah, well, I didn't really mean to, and. You know, I don't know. I just, I, I think the lad gets a lot of bad stick. Um, a lot of, you know, people say he's a bit too big for his boots and stuff. I don't see anything but a, a fairly humble sort of hardworking lad that seems to want to, you know, have his presence be known in the team for his ability as opposed to his personality. Um, and yeah, I know he, he still has these erratic shots and things, but well, I think with with Townsend for me, and um, I think I've almost. I don't think I've expressed the way in which I view him properly because people seem to think I've got a, a vendetta against him and, and seems to think that I don't want him to do well. What I'm, what it may or may not be me perpetuating that. <laughs> well, the, the point in which I'm trying to make, and the, I almost, I'm trying to protect him in the, I'm not his father or anything, but the way in which I'm trying to protect him is that if the man, if the world and his dog blow smoke up his ass in unison, there's no way in which that that's not going to go to his head at some point. And with him being a young English winger who at some point is going to have to, to add more to his game purely because defences are going to learn about him, they're going to double up on him, and then that will then make him have to readjust his game. If he gets too confident in himself, he's never going to to do that. He's never going to be able to, to go above the place in which he is now. And he's known which... He's, he's not the, the finished product currently. So... By me saying every time somebody says, "Oh, he's brilliant," somebody puts on Facebook, "That's why we sold Bale." Somebody makes a joke, even in jest, about him going to Real Madrid in the summer. It's the reason in which I seem to take a step back from that and and point out the fact that he's doing nothing now that Aaron Lennon wasn't doing when he was eighteen, is because I don't want him to go down the same route that players such as Adam Johnson, Sean Wright Phillips. Um, Stuart Downing have all done where they've been good club players while they've been young and then they've plateaued to a point where they've not taken that step up that Gareth Bale had. Gareth Bale became the player he is because he had a shit time of it when he started at Tottenham and then because he grew from there on and was allowed to adapt his game and then became a better player for it. If 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 he'd have got nothing but praise from day one, I don't think he would have been able to do so. It's very interesting you say that because he is at the moment, Townsend, very much in that place where, like you say, a young Sean Wright Phillips was, a young Adam Johnson, a young Stuart Downing was. Um, and I think this is one place where people don't give Aaron Lennon enough credit because 
similarly to them, he was also in that position of a promising young winger who, you know, will he cut the mustard, won't he? And as we've seen with the other ones, you you couldn't compare their careers to the one that Aaron Lennon has had thus far. And people still forget how young Aaron Lennon is. Um, so, you know, it's obviously fantastic to have him back. Um, can you see him figuring much against... Um, Against who the hell is it we're playing? Sheriff. Hull, that's Sheriff. It. Or oh, Sheriff, or Sheriff. even Hull, to be honest with you. Well, um, I'd, I'd hope he plays against both, to be honest. I'd, um, I'm I'm fairly sure he's travelled to Sheriff, so I'd like to see him start and I'd like to see him get a, an hour or so under his belt there. Um, but just to, to put a, a full stop on the, the Andros Townsend point is just outside from Tottenham as well, now that he's he's made himself a figure nationally. There's nothing more that the tabloid media in this country enjoy more than building up someone to a point in which there is no more room for them to, to, to grow and then in turn swiping them down. So if they can do that to Andrew Town, then they can they can make him the hero that qualified England and then make him the, the failure story that didn't make it into the World Cup squad. They yeah, will. The, the ex-gambling addict, the this, the that. Um yeah, you can seem to. I've got, I've got to say, with regards to Andrus Tanzan as well. Yeah, as he's saying about putting a full stop on it. Um, one of my favourite tweets I've seen in the past few weeks um, was after hit. Well, after the goal went in against Villa, some, someone tweeted his dad. They just said, "Hey, you know, at Troy Tanzan, no need for the belt tonight." <laughs> so, yeah, that amused me. I probably shouldn't find that funny, should I? People, people start saying I'm glamorising child abuse, which I'm not. Andrus Townsend isn't a child, so there we go. Um, <laughs> he's a monkey, apparently. I've, I went there. I shouldn't have said that, should I, really? Well, if we're going to touch on that, I think it's faintly ridiculous. I think that, that that's almost feeds into the point we're making about the media, that because he's now got a, a name, he's, he's a household name and he's a reputation, the fact that somebody's made uh, not even vaguely racist thing towards him that they can misconstrue and mould into a story is indicative of what they will try and do if his form drops off at any point. So I, if anything, I'm, I'm trying to almost... Um, limit the way in which people think he's going to progress and become a great player and allow him to do it so in his own time because I don't want I don't want him to to do what he, he's in danger of doing and and hitting a glass ceiling for half a season and then and then never showing any more promise we we've done that before with David Bentley I think the the only thing I would say about Townsend um is that you know there's been several times when Spurs have obviously probably made it clear to him that they don't figure that he's a part of the plans that, you know, if you, if you look at the amount of times we've put him out on loan um, and apparently actually tried to release him once before um, and he actually refused to go. His dad I, says that's bollocks. Yeah, I see. I was never too sure how much I believed that or not. But regardless of that, I mean, we've put him out on loan a lot of times and I think, you know, some young players would be disheartened by that, but it seems as though he's genuinely really always had his heart set on playing for Spurs and that, you know, being a Tottenham lad, coming through the ranks, now he's seeing it as, you know, his chance to be doing what he's wanted to do all along. Um, and I think, you know, I personally think he's going to work for that. I, re- I really do. I think as the season's progressed, I do think he's shown, you know, a, a level of maturity because um, I, I do think he has improved with every game. Um, I, I, I completely see what you're saying that a lot of people are very quick to blow smoke up his ass, but at the same time, I do think a lot of it is warranted. Um, I think the lad does try really very hard and in quite a few of our games has been stand out. And, you know, even for England, 
regardless of the opposition, you know, he he was one of our major attacking threats. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it is one of those things. I, I, I do think that if we had, if, for example, if Lamella was playing like Andros Townsend is now, everyone would be very, very happy. Would you agree with that? Um, I think the majority of people would be. I don't think I would be, no. Because oh. I've seen him play. I, I've seen him play better than that <laughs> previously. But um, I, I do agree that if the thing is with, with football, that's with, not a dig at Lamella, by the way, for anyone. No, no, no. With, right. with 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 media places like Twitter and the, and the like, where the majority get a voice over the minority, you are likely to get a, a feeling of of that where that is taken up and where that. Uh, those type of tropes of, of of a player doing well and the player being compared against him straight away happens. Um, but no, it's it's not something I'd, I'd enjoy buying into, and that's as I say half the reason that I um I always kind of try and put my foot down when people get a bit of a head in themselves with with Townsend at the moment because he, he deserves praise, but he doesn't deserve a bronze statue making of him as, as everyone's stopping two centimetres short of doing at the minute. Well, there we go. Um, now, moving forwards, we uh, we have a little game against a team, well, we have a couple of games against a team called Hull City. Um, and we're joined this evening by a prominent Hull City blogger and podcaster. So, yeah, we are joined this evening by Matthew Rudd. Um, Matthew is a writer and podcaster for Amber Nectar. He's also a writer for the whole um, AFC match day program and he's also a uh, writer for when saturday comes you could you could almost say the hully trinity matthew see what you I did could there? but you could but <laughs> i'd rather you didn't obviously i've i've just done it so thanks for thanks for inviting me on fellas anyway it's good to talk to you no thank you very much for coming down this evening well i say coming down for coming no, on to skype well, i've yeah. had to come down my own stairs in order to uh, make this call so you were right first time oh well there we go then i'm uh, so I think Raj, you're you're quite happy to not be the only Northerner on this week as well. Very much so, yeah. Um, it's nice to hear a familiar accent. Um, it's better than I think we've we've managed so far this season with fixtures to to avoid anyone else that's um, anywhere close <laughs> to being north of Birmingham. So it's nice. Yorkshire's Although only Premier League club. You having a Northern accent, of course, makes you a shoe in to be a, a supporter of Tottenham Hotspur. So you know, it does of course, yeah. It makes it makes very logical sense why I'm. Why I'm Tottenham fan, yeah. That, that was Absolutely. one of our fantastic pieces of feedback we got this week was, why is a Northerner talking about Spurs? So keep those coming, listeners. Um, we always we always appreciate valued, uh, valued feedback like that. Two of your most successful managers were um, Yorkshiremen, Bill Nicholson and Keith Birkinshaw. So, um, you know, you could use that as a stat next time, can't you? Exactly. And, and our captain at the moment's a Yorkshireman. So, you know, I think the, the gentleman in question was... a. You know, a mouth breather, if you if you if you, <laughs> want to, if you want to put it in a nice way. Um, so let's let's talk about Hull City. Anyway, um, how 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 do you think your summer went? Uh, we had a very good summer. I mean, we were on a crest of a wave anyway after um, the least impressive promotion I think we've ever had. In that we sort of fell over the line really in the championship. Didn't win any of our last six games and and uh, relied ultimately, of all teams, on Leeds United to, to get us up and keep us out of um, the playoff uh, lottery. So um, just on the strength of the relief um, of getting up, having been in the top two for, for most of um, 
the, the period from January onwards um, meant that we could sort of relax in the summer and, and, and have a good think about what we were, what our ambitions were. Having, had our, having started so well in the Premier League last time around and severely got our fingers burned on and off the pitch, um, everything was a good deal more sort of chilled and, and relaxed really about uh, what was going to happen to Hull City now that we were back in the, the Premier League. Because, you know, let's not forget this is still only the third season ever in 109 years of our club that we've played top-tier football. I was going to say, you, you've had that taste of um, Premier League football. I can remember the, the, the dramatic, the scenes, as they like to say on Sky, when uh, when Big, uh, Big Windass scored the, uh, the goal in the playoff. Dean um, Windass, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, that was why well, I think that was your first ever promotion, wasn't it, to the Premiership, to the top? Uh, yeah, five? yeah, F- yeah. First ever, yeah. I mean, the, the nearest we'd come before that. We we um, we had a pre-war team that that sort of threw away promotion to the top division on the last day, and then in 1971, under Terry Neal, who of course left Hull City a couple of years later to become manager of Spurs, we got uh, fifth place, and then uh, we um, nearly managed it again in 1980. Six under Brian Horton and finished um, sixth in what was then called the second division. And those are the only two occasions up to our promotion via the playoffs in 2008 under Phil Brown with Dean Windus's goal that we'd even come close um, to, to dreaming about um, the top flight. I mean, most of our period in the late 80s and all of the 90s was just about despair, being skint, being run by idiots and crooks and... Um, and, th- and you know, thinking that we were um, going to lose all our players, or lose all our money, or lose our ground, or lose our league status, or indeed all of the above. And so um, there was real joy and emotion that went with our rise uh, again under a former Spurs name in Peter Taylor from the the, um, the fourth tier through to the second, which Phil Brown then, after a, a brief period in between, Phil Brown then took over to get us into um, the Premier League, and, and that was a great decade. Um, but the experience of the Premier League itself over those two years, I mean, from, from August 2008 when we started off with a win against Fulham through to around about November, December of that year, uh, although we did lose a couple of games, we could do no wrong. Um, the problem was from December 2008 right through to our relegation um, a season and a half later in the summer of 2010, we could barely do anything right. And I think a lot of fans are still quite bitter about how it turned out that we could rise to the Premier League so brilliantly with all that money, all those riches that the Premier League brings and still end up two years later very nearly going out of business. And so, again, as I said earlier before I started waffling, um, the the prospects over the summer for us were, we just felt just a lot more relaxed, a lot more chilled. Let's just see what we can do. We've got a decent manager in Steve Bruce who's done very well. He's going to get some money to spend. Let's see who and what he can get. Let's see how we're going to play. And let's see if we've learned as a club, as a, as a set of supporters, uh, not as players, because now Andy Dawson, Michael Dawson's elder brother, has left us after 10 years with the club in the summer. We've got um, only one player left from that first Premier League era. That's the turnover of players we've had. But uh, certainly as a club and as a set of supporters, let's see um, exactly what we've we've learned and, and um, how we're going to react this time to top flight football. And so far, it's gone very well. I was going to say, so with that in mind, with kind of the way it went after you... Your promotions in the past when obviously, you know, after Windass scored there was the romance and it was, you know, it was a new era, a newer chapter and I think. Do you think there's a lot more pragmatism now you've come up to the top flight this time? Do you think there's less of a buzz, less excitement? Oh no, the buzz and the excitement is there, although 
as somebody who's seen Hull City in all four divisions and seen us plumb the very depths, I, I always get more of a kick out of getting to the Premier League than being in it. And um, you only have to look at the example set by Crystal Palace today that, um, unfortunately, if you're a club not associated with top-flight football who, as soon as you get promoted, is earmarked as, as, a, as a cert or at least one of the, the main favourites for relegation, then it's very hard to enjoy the division a lot of the time because ultimately yes you might be seeing great players and um, you you might be uh, going to an amazing stadium but ultimately a lot of the time you're getting a severe seeing to every week and that after a while becomes very disheartening even when you accept um, the position your club is in both in terms of football as a game and football as a business. Hull City knows its place and our owners and our manager and a very, very, very well switched on, very well adjusted set of players are currently trying via the right methods to rise uh, in, in terms of our place and get to the next um, next level, if you like. And um, so far, we've we've achieved that. We've had a, we've had a pretty good start to the season, and um, we'll see what happens next. Well. I mean, I know a lot of Spurs fans will be familiar with the fact that you signed Tommy Huddlestone and Jake Livermore on loan. Um, obviously, Tom Huddlestone on a permanent deal. But yeah. uh, can you take us through your other summer signings just just for now and how you've kind of <clears throat> how they've slotted in so far? Well, first of all, those two have been a revelation. I mean, you can imagine that for a for a, a Hull City team um, full of good but not necessarily great players in uh, great players in Hull City's history, but not necessarily great players in the grand scheme of football. I mean, Tom Huddleston is just a, 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 just beautiful to watch as a footballer. Um, it came there was there was a dual shock that came with our signing of him: one that Spurs were going to let him go, and secondly that we were going to get him. Um, you know, you would assume with a player of Tom Huddleston's quality, even if there wasn't room for him regularly in the in the Tottenham team. And I must say, I look at your midfield and still think he could have slotted into it. But you know, that, I don't know. A lot of Spurs that. fans that feel the same way. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know as much about your other players um, as as you do, but just just from seeing enough of Huddleston over the years. Those two have been tremendous. Huddleston is a beautiful player to watch and observe. He seems to have all the time in the world. He doesn't have any pace, but he doesn't need it. He's got this lovely turning circle on the ball. He always knows three different passes as soon as he gets the ball and always chooses the right one. Livermore, I must say, we we knew less about him. but he's been my player of the season. And I know that there's a, one of those view-to-a-permanent-deal uh, things going on between the two clubs. Well, I'd, I'd quite like that to be sorted out in January, frankly, because um, he has been... The, the, the pair of them together have been tremendous. Very different players. Livermore's got... As you know, I'm, I'm just preaching to the converted here, but Livermore's got uh, a lot more sort of um, energy in him to, to, to do the yardage, the hard yards. But my goodness me, that boy can run, he can pass, he can tackle, he's incisive, he's quick, he's visionary, and at the same time, he seems pretty tough as well. They have been tremendous in the centre of our midfield. Our other signings, we got the Scottish international goalkeeper Alan McGregor in the summer. Um, he's our, you'll, you'll find this quite hard to believe, maybe, um, you know, on a, a club that was brought up with goalkeepers like Pat Jennings. And so on, but we hadn't got a proper permanent senior goalkeeper for uh, two and a half years up until the point we signed McGregor. After we got relegated from the Premier League in 2010, we relied for three seasons on loanees constantly, um, pretty much constantly anyway. And to actually buy a proven international goalkeeper um, was was very important, and it was a long time coming as well. He's a, he's had a, a decent start to the season. Um, we signed Curtis Davis who was in Fabio Capella's very first England squad years back, I think when he was at Aston Villa. 
and we got him from Birmingham City. He'd fallen, he'd fallen out of favour, or fought, his stock had fallen a little bit as a as a defender. And he was the one that raised the most eyebrows when Steve Bruce went after him. But my goodness me, he's been superb in, in the, the centre of our defence. Alongside James Chester, who's been with us for three years now and is, is, is the, the great white hope of, um, of Hull City, if you like, in terms of, of the, the, the generation that's going to do well over the next, hopefully, five, six, seven years. Um, who else did we buy? We, uh, we bought George Boyd permanently after a good loan spell from Peterborough United. We've got Danny Graham in on loan from Sunderland, centre forward who still can't score. He's, he's had some good team games, but he needs a goal. And now he's just got injured. So, um, he's sort of, uh, unwittingly taking himself out the firing line by being the victim of a rather bad challenge by Gareth Barry at Everton. Yeah, it's pre- pretty awful that, wasn't it? Yeah, well, Barry should have gone for that, and then he did Sonia Luco with a similar challenge shortly afterwards and should have gone for that as well and ended up going for neither of them. It's so funny because I've, I've never seen Gareth Barry as being a player like that either, which surprised me, just to digress slightly, but it was... Not, uh... not just that, but you don't imagine Roberto Martinez to, to condone or at least um, uh, turn a blind eye to that sort of play. Mind you, there was that tackle by, was it... Um, Callum McManaman on that Newcastle play last year that um, that a lot of blind eyes were turned towards at Wigan. But anyway, that's that's by the by. Um, so yeah, we, we've lost Graham. Um, so we bought, a, but we also got a guy called Yannick Sagbo who scored our goal at Everton. It was his first goal for us. He's had a bit of a stop-start time since he joined us because he got sent off in the second game of the season and, and it was a straight red. So he had three matches to serve. Um, he's an Ivorian international who we got from a French club uh, and. He, he looks, you know, he's a big unit. He looks pretty strong. He looks pretty lively and nippy. And his goal, his first one for us, he, he took very well, um, extremely well. And now that Graham's out the side, not that we were scoring goals from striking positions anyway with Graham in the team, but now that Graham is out the side, Sagbo finally gets his big opportunity because Graham's certainly going to miss our two games coming up against Tottenham. He's also going to miss our next home game because it's against Sunderland, so he'll be ineligible for that. So there's a big opportunity um, for Sagbo. Um, beyond that, I think that's um, that's pretty much it. I think there were a couple of fringe signings, but certainly in terms of our starting eleven, those are the guys to look out for. Oh, as well as... from Sunderland as well, wasn't there? Yeah, well, yeah, he's like George Boyd. He um, he signed after a loan spell last season, so he doesn't feel quite as new as the others. We knew what he was like. Also, El yeah. Mohamed started the season at right back when when he's really a, an out and out right winger. Um, and um, he's been put back on the right wing now because we re- he realised and Steve Bruce realised that being a right full-back, and I'm sure you have this with Kyle Walker occasionally, sometimes, sometimes needs to defend. Um, and El Mohamedi uh, isn't necessarily the best at that, but my goodness me, he can charge down a flank and, and swing over a, a, a great cross. He's one of the best crosses of the ball I've ever seen in a Hull City shirt and, and you know, in the context of the best Hull City players down the years in all the divisions. Um, he is an outstanding crosser of the ball. But he, he was a permanent signing in the summer, yes, but we had him most of last season. I mean, in terms of your season thus far, it seems as though the player that's taken most of the plaudits um, is Robbie Brady. Well, at least, I mean, he's been <coughs> the one with the goal-scoring goal exploits thus far. Um, can you sort of tell us a little bit more about him and how he's been playing? Because I always understood he was kind of a, a left wing back, but he seems to be playing in a more advanced position at the moment. Um, he's a left winger who's played at left wing back most of last season because that was the system that Steve Bruce wanted to play. Um, and he's, um, he's, a, he's an odd one, Robbie Brady, because he first came, he's a Manchester United product. 
and it came to us. We, we had a spell, because our former manager, Warren Joyce, is the reserve team manager at Manchester United, we had a spell in the Championship where we got loads of talented kids from Manchester United coming to us on loan because they weren't quite going to make it in the, in the very top echelons of Manchester United's first-team squad. That's where James Chester, I mentioned earlier, came from. Um, there was also a guy called Cameron Stewart who's fallen out of favour. Corey Evans, Northern Ireland International. Johnny Evans' um, brother, who's now uh, who left us for big money in the summer to go to Blackburn because Steve Bruce uh, needed to raise a little bit of money. Um, and then Robbie Brady. Robbie Brady came to us on loan as a left winger, and he was one of those. Do you do you you'll remember a Spurs player called John Bostock? Certainly do. Yeah. Um, he, he came to us on loan um, from from Tottenham, and when Robbie Brady came to to Hull City two seasons ago on loan, he reminded me of John Bostock in that he was all talent and all bad attitude as well. Um, his attitude, like Bostock's, was phenomenally poor because he thought he knew it all. He had um, a, an amazing um, amazing skill. God-given talent, but didn't want to be a team player. He wanted to be an individual footballer. Um, and Bostock was a disgrace a lot of the time at Hull City. He scored two very memorable goals, but otherwise just frustrated the hell out of everybody, and we were glad to see the back of him. Brady was like that. He was, he was, the, he was the Bostock du jour, if you like. It culminated with a, a stupid sending off at Southampton when they were on their way to winning the league, and we were, we were fighting back at 2-1 down, and we were doing really well, and then Brady got a silly red card on the, on the halfway line, and I was absolutely livid on the drive all the way back up north um, from St Mary's that night. And so he went back to Manchester United, came back again on loan under Steve Bruce, and in between, he'd, he'd had some first-team action uh, on a pre-season tour for Man United. He'd played one Champions League game, I think it was, um, and I think he'd also been given something of a, a, um, a roasting by Alex Ferguson about his attitude. And he came back to us, completely different player. It was as if he'd sent his own nicer twin brother with the angel on his shoulder instead of the devil. Um, and he did play at left wing back because that was he, he's, he's tough enough to play at left wing back and he's skillful enough to, to be wing and back, if you see what I mean. There's enough back to go with his wing and vice versa. And he played there all last season. El Mohamedy did it on the other side. And no championship defence could cope with those two when they were together. This season, Brady's played um, much more of a midfield role because we're playing with a flat back four now. Brady's not played as a defender. Uh, or any sort of defender, although he does track back like any other midfielder. He's been wide on the left, he's, he's wandered, he's roamed, he's played behind strikers. He has got the goals, although they need to be qualified slightly that, that a couple of them have been um, very good penalties, <clears throat> both um, to win home games 1-0 against Norwich and against um, West Ham. Um, he's, he's a lovely footballer to watch when he, when he goes for it. Um, he came back at Everton at the weekend after out for a couple of weeks with a hernia, after a hernia operation, and uh, yeah, he's a big favourite at Hull City now. But he's more of a favourite on the outside than he is on the in. I think a lot of Hull City fans remember what he was once like, and are sort of half worried that he might become like that again. But at the moment, there's no sign of that. So, how I mean, how's Bruce got you set out? You you mentioned there that you, you're playing a flat back <coughs> four at the moment. Are you yeah. just playing a standard four four two at the moment? How- it's um it's a fourth it's a flexible four four one one. Um, it's, uh, it depends on who's available. With Brady being out, and now with Graham being out, there may be a little tweak here and there. We've also not got Robert Corran, who's a very influential, experienced midfielder, very good footballer, excellent footballer. We've had him, amazingly, for four years now. I'm amazed that he hasn't um, gone elsewhere in, in that time. Um, he's out with a broken foot, and I think he's out for another week or two weeks, maybe. I think they've got plans for him for maybe Sunderland or when we play Crystal Palace later on in November. Um, yeah, flat back four... It's it's McGregor in goal. The back four, 
uh, assuming everybody's fit, will be Liam Rossini, um, Curtis Davis, at the moment Abdullah Fai, uh, until James Chester's fit again, and hopefully that'll be in two weeks, because although Fai's a very, very sort of monstrous defender who's very handy for big games, uh, we'd like to have Chester back in our team, because he's just, he's like what, he could light a, a cigar with uh, just how easy he, he easily he can uh, he can rule a back four, and our left back is uh, Mayna Figueroa, who's the Honduran international that we got on a free transfer from Wigan in the summer. Then it is a midfield four: Huddleston and Livermore uh, in the middle, with uh, most likely El Mohamedi and Brady in the wide positions. And then Sonia Luco is the Roman. Now he's a really dangerous player, fabulous footballer. He ruled the championship at times last season before he got a bad injury, and we lost him for the last three months. Um, and he is a sort of aroma around uh, that, that, the whole that the old the, the Sheringham role, except with a bit more pace, um, sort of running across the the pitch and looking for any ball he can get. He's basically got license to do as he as he pleases in the opposition half of the field, and he'll be the one who roams around and causes problems and makes different defenders pick him up. And then it'll be um, most likely Yannick Sagbo in Danny Graham's absence, who plays as the main sort of figurehead up front. So that's the. Uh, Injuries permitting between now and Sunday, that's the team I expect um, to be put out at White Hart Lane. Livermore shouldn't be able to play, though, will he? If he's oh, on sir, you're quite right. Um, you know what? That never occurred to me. Um, <laughs> it never, honestly. Because Huddleston signed permanently. You, may, yeah. you, you assume that they, it's like they came as a pair. It's like they came as a job lot. Um, good question. Who's going to play in the centre of midfield, then? I'll have to come back to you on that one. <laughs> well, the, the obvious candidate, in the absence of Robert Curran, the obvious candidate would be... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Stephen Quinn, who is um, an Irish it, international fielder that we bought from Sheffield. Ginger lad, yeah. Yeah, we bought him from Sheffield United. Um, he's been a good signing. Premier League's a bit bit much for him, I think, on a consistent level, although he has played there before in his earliest days at, at Sheffield United before they got relegated. Uh, he's a handy footballer, but um, he's, he's not going to be Livermore. Uh, he's, gonna, he's a different sort of player, very much a different sort of player in, 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 uh, in pretty much every conceivable way. But he, he's a handy footballer to have around, and he's, he's, he's got a bite in the tackle like Livermore has. They are similar in that respect, so I think he's most likely to be the one who replaces him. And where, where do you think, if you, if you had to call it, where do you think your strengths lie? So how are you going to approach the game? <laughs> We're talking about the league game in particular. How, yeah. how do you feel that you're going to approach it, and where do you think you're going to look to really get at Spurs? I'm glad you mentioned the league game because the League Cup game um, will be a complete write-off in many ways. I don't know how your manager's attitude to it has been. Maybe it'll change now that it's the last 16, but um, we'll put pretty much 11 different players out on that Wednesday night. Um, 
the wings will be important. If Brady and El, I mean El Mohamedy in particular, will be um, will will be important. Um, who's playing at left back for you at the moment? Uh, well, very good question. Um, we've it's been kind of changing between a few people. Danny Rose is pretty much first choice if he's fit, but he's not. He didn't, he didn't play against Villa, did he? What's happened to Asui Koto? He's out on loan at QPR at the moment. He seems to have. Right. Uh, his attitude seems to be a, a stopping point with our he's, manager. I mean, give, on talent alone, he's probably better than than Danny Rose, but he has he has a tendency to to perhaps overexpress himself in dangerous positions mm. and he's a he's a character that's um it's not somebody that you can really mold into a into a competent player in in terms of making him play a role with his head he he, he does have that bit about him both it seems personally and professionally that he, he just wants to go out on a whim on occasion and cry yeah. turn on the edge of his own 18 yard box which um well, the, the must give I the have- manager the reason I ask is because of El Mohamedi. I think El Mohamedi is always going to be crucial. Now that he's now that he's not flapping it right back and he's playing in his proper position with with um, Liam Rossini providing decent insurance behind it, he gets plenty of ball and he reacts to the big occasion, which he usually does. Then he will be a problem to whoever's playing at left back for you. Um, and he's one of those who he can do a full back for pace and get to the byline and cross it, or he can just do that one turn turn to his to his right on the outside and then whip one round the full back without having to beat him. And his curling crosses are when they work, they really are um something to behold. So uh, Brady's a different sort of player on the left hand side. He isn't a beat the man and cross it from wide. He likes to sort of cut in, do the step overs, make make the full back or the defender think a little bit more. Um, he also prefers to play the early ball and go for returns and stuff like that. He likes to get in the box rather than provide the ball for the box. But despite them being very, very different pairing, uh, those two will be crucial and Aluko will be crucial because if he's on song, then he's a, a match for any sort of um, slightly meat-headed defender that he's facing. And um, I'm quite looking forward to seeing um, Aluko up against somebody like Michael Dawson, who I rate very highly, but I think ultimately is the sort of defender who's going to have to chop at some knees if somebody with a little bit of guile and skill is going to run at him. And um, that um, that might be interesting. Having said that, uh, about Robbie Brady, I've got a feeling that if Andros Townsend carries on the way he is, then Brady's going to be doing more tracking back than going forward So in order to double up. So we'll we'll see. I also think we've got to worry about Tommy Huddlestone and his ketchup cannon, as we like to call it, one of those uh, one of those big shots that's got to go in sooner or later. And I think he's due a haircut as well. So yeah, he won't get his he won't get his haircut, will he? Until he scored a goal, and he hasn't scored for something like two years, hasn't, hasn't he? He's not really. To be fair, he's not really come close to scoring. He's hit a few of his um, sort of humdingers from outside the box, but most of them have gone straight at the goalkeeper. Um, I'm not too. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know what? You know better than anybody what. Tom Huddleston's like, and so will your midfield um, that plays on on Sunday. But uh, Huddleston's good enough to do his own thing without having to worry about being man marked. I think um, your better task would be to stop his end pro- to stop the the targets of his end product rather than the end product itself, because the passes are still going to be sprayed out by Huddleston because he just you you know that he knows how to do it. Um, where would you say your weaknesses lie? I mean, where can what concerns you most about Spurs? How, how can you see us getting at you? Centre of defence. Um, Davis has been a colossus, but Abdullah Fai, as good as he is in terms of his his, his monstrous build and bravery and and, uh, and and sort of slightly unconventional, idiosyncratic leadership qualities, even though he's not the captain, he's very slow. He's, he's an ageing player. 
Um, I don't think he was, a, a, although he, he, he took up a year's option on his contract after we got promoted, which was his right, but I don't think Steve Bruce envisaged playing him very often this season and losing Chester early on. Uh, at the same time, Paul McShane was injured, so he had no choice. He only had Fai then to, to look towards. Uh, I mean, actually, Fai's done very well, and I like having him in our side, although I'd still rather James Chester was back. But if there is a, a weakness to be exploited, it's going to be sheer pace down the middle. I remember when Spurs came to the Casey Stadium early on in the 2009-2010 season, and the pace down the middle was utterly frightening. I mean, Spurs won 5-1 that night. Defoe scored a hat-trick and, um, and could have had more. And the, 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 the sheer lightning speed of Spurs when they built an attack from halfway line onwards was 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 frightening and enthralling at the same time. Um, mind you, having said that, as we, as we know, as I'm sure you guys know from looking at your stats and so on, Tottenham Hotspur have not scored a league goal against Hull City at White Hart Lane for 35 and a half years. I didn't actually know that, and that's, that's uh, well, because opening. Yep. Steve Perryman got it uh, in the promo- your promotion season from the second division in 78. Controversial goal as well, and if you read the Ambenta website tomorrow, you'll see the full story that's been written up about it. And, and Spurs went up that season in third place by the skin of their teeth. Two league games since, both in the Premier League. We won 1-0 with the Giovanni free kick when you still had Ramos in charge and nobody knew what was going on. And then the following year, um, I hope Spurs fans now remember this with fondness. Certainly it was blind anger and confusion at the time. The greatest single goalkeeping performance I will ever see in my many years, hopefully ahead still, of watching Hull City when Hull City travelled down to Tottenham in January 2010 and Bose Myhill kept out everything that was thrown at him and we got a goalless draw. And um, it was, it, it, I still miss him. Six and a half years he was our goalkeeper. We sold him at the end of that season because we were relegated and skint. And I'm still annoyed that he's not with us now completing his testimonial season. Um, that was one of my, even though we didn't win the game and we only ever had one chance and that was squandered by, by Nicky Barnby of all people. Um, but it remains one of my favourite games to watch just because I'm one of those people who can see the good in good goalkeeping and good defending as well as great fluent attacking football. And on that day... We defended fairly well, but Spurs still carved us open on occasion, but Bosemar Hill just equalled everything. And as a result, you haven't scored against us at White Hart Lane in the league since 1978. And, you know, from this end of um, the conversation, one hopes that that continues for at least another 12 months. Well, I mean, given how we've been uh, performing from open play, um, although, you know, it came, we got two against Villa the other day, so hopefully things are on the up, for us at least. Uh, I don't know how much you'll, uh, you'll have to, to worry about. I Well... I don't know. I say that. I can, I think, uh, I can see scoring, scoring, to be honest. Yeah, and, and so can I. You know, put, put, in the, um, put in the bravado aside for a moment. The, um, most Hull City fans will watch this game on Sunday um, without any real sort of expectation. Um, we had a tough one at Everton. We nearly got something there. Lost 2-1. This is a tough one. But after that, we've got Sunderland at home and Crystal Palace away, and those are the ones that matter. We've, we've done pretty well in... Our away games so far, I mean, one win and two defeats, granted. So in terms of results, they could have been better. But the first two games were against... Sorry, one win and two defeats before Everton, that was. Um, the first two games, they were away at Chelsea on the opening weekend and then away at Manchester City two weeks later. So we were, we got two hidings to nothing out of the way very quickly, then won very well up at Newcastle um, and then pushed Everton um, pretty close uh, last weekend. So, you know, we've we've made a reasonable start in terms of our... 
attitude and our form, if not necessarily completely our results away from home, and we'll uh, we'll see whether we can pick something up this weekend. Um, I've got about five to ten percent of hope, as I said on the Amber Nectar podcast um, earlier this week, but um, that that represents the, the 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 biggest level of optimism I think any of us can come up with. Um, I just want, but I do like I'm coming on Sunday because I do like White Hart Lane. I do like um, coming to Tottenham just because of the memory of Bose Myhill's performance <clears throat> four seasons ago. And uh, even though I don't expect Helen McGregor or anybody else to replicate that, we have got a good history of goalkeepers keeping Tottenham Hotspur out for long periods at, um, at White Hart Lane, and uh, hopefully that will continue. We do often have a bit of a hoodoo of keepers having, as we call it, a worldie against us. So let's hope that doesn't continue. But um, I do, mean, you, do, you guys, do you guys remember that Myhill performance? It, it, I do, yeah. Among many, yeah. Yeah, it's one that uh, once you brought it up, I do remember it. I, I can remember being frustrated. Yeah, but it, as as Jack says, it's it's something that seems to happen with a worrying regularity against us. I don't know if you saw Cardiff a few weeks ago. Where, yes, uh, I did. Yeah, um, Marshall is it the, the yeah, that's right, David, yeah, David Marshall. He's yeah, the same enough. guy who bounced the ball in front of Samueletto last weekend. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, was just looked absolutely like the best keeper in the world against us for Cardiff. So. Um, but I mean, you scored. You scored in injury time, though, which um, and so that makes Hull City, you know, um, ergo that makes Hull City better than Cardiff because um, <laughs> you didn't manage it against us, and it was at your place rather than theirs. Do you so, have you got anyway. a prediction for the game though? Um, um, that I'll get home safely. Um, that um, the Seven Sisters Road will feel like a lot longer a walk from the tube station to White Hart Lane than it looks on the map, um, and. I, uh, my prediction is that Hull City will lose the game. My hope is that Hull City will perform and it will come back to the north of England with... I mean, I'm guessing that the players are probably going to stay down for a couple of days because of the League Cup tie. Um, but that we'll, we'll, we'll come back up to East Yorkshire um, knowing that a performance like that will stand us in good stead for the more winnable games that we've got coming up. Um, and I want no, no more injuries. That'll do me. And, um, but, you know... That's the least of my prediction. The optimist in me, that 5 or 10% says that something could happen. I mean, West Ham destroyed you when we beat them, and they weren't very good when we beat them as well. So, you know, if, uh, we, if, haven't got a, we, we haven't got a Ravel Morrison, but, you know, we'll give it our best shot. If you had to say a score, Matt, if you had to, which, you know, you, you, we, don't, you don't have to, but it, I don't it would have be nice. To. I think we, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll go for it, but my quali- I think we will score. Okay. But I think it'll probably be three, maybe 3-1 three to Tottenham. Okay, Raj, you got a prediction, mate? Um, similar to that, yeah. I imagine it'll be fairly um, comfortable for us. Um, I can't see Hull um, pulling anything off in the, in the same vein that West Ham did. I think that's going to be a, a one-off, hopefully, this season. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll agree and go to three-one as well. Um, that seems fair. Although I'd, I'd prefer not to concede at home to Hull. Mm-hmm. Um, and just one last thing, Max. I know you you press the time. Just uh, we always like to get a, a listener question in, and we've got a very good one here, and it's something we haven't actually touched on yet. Um, there's a uh, one of our listeners, Spurs Liam, who's at Spurs Liam eighty four, has asked, um, "Can you ask if all the fans are united against the Hull Tigers um, malarkey, or are there some fans that are just happy to roll over and accept it?" Um. I think there's a lot who haven't actually realised fully what's going on. And we find that with our leafleting campaigns that we've done at the last two home games, handing out leaflets and people are saying, what's this for? I've not heard about this, even though it's been all over the the local media, on radio and on television and and in the newspaper, the Hull Daily Mail, as well as uh, 
the various Hull City websites. I was going to say, do they uh, live in caves? Or <laughs> well, no. Well, it is Hull, to be fair. So oh. Now, you be careful. Now, you be careful. <laughs> let's, keep, let's, let, 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 let's, let's keep it friendly. Let's face it, the, the walk along the Seven Sisters Road towards White Hart Lane isn't the nicest in the world. Well, he's, um, he's, where are you from, Raj? <clears throat> I'm, I'm currently sat in the, the lovely city that is Leeds, so I'm, I'm quite nice to, ah, to look down my nose at Hull. Anyway, I'll just talk to the other chap now. Um, <laughs> no, um, you've got to remember that we don't have... Uh, we, we're a big city, a big area, big conurbation, but we don't have a big supporting history just because we've had so uh, many years of... Uh, well. oh. Sorry? It's a massive rugby league town as well. Does that not dilute yeah. the, the... No. The, uh, not even in the slightest, for two reasons. One, because um, the, the, just, the only reason people think it's a rugby league town is because we have two rugby league clubs. But the combined attendances of the two rugby league clubs come nowhere near uh, a single home attendance for the football team. That's the first thing. Secondly, a lot of the rugby league fans will support the football club as well. But anyway, that's, that's, um, that's entirely irrelevant. The, the issue is, is that because we've been... Although we're a, a club in a big area and a big conurbation, we haven't got a big history in terms of the success. And therefore, a lot of people just simply aren't interested in Hull City until the Premier League comes along. Um, and therefore, their acknowledgement or indeed knowledge of the history of the traditions of the club, including the club's name, are either irrelevant to them or... Uh, unknown to them and you, you you know you've got to convince a few people maybe but in terms of the regular supporter I would say a rough estimate from the reaction we've had from the campaigns we've done before and during games 80 to 85 percent are dead set against the proposal to change the club's name we're Hull City AFC we play in black and amber our nickname is the Tigers and that's how it should remain it's as simple as that and I should say chaps we've been doing a city till we die campaign um, involving leaflets and singing the song City Till I Die to the tune of Only When I Laugh um, uh, on the 19th minute of games recently because we were, it's actually 90 minutes and four seconds to be precise because that's the year we were formed, 1904. And the Everton fans were right behind us. They had their own branding issues, of course, in the summer with the club badge, so they were right behind us. The Aston Villa and West Ham fans that came to the Casey Stadium recently were brilliant with us as well, and we would hope that if you hear the Hull City fans start singing that song in the 90th minute at White Hart Lane on Sunday, assuming something really important isn't happening right at that point on the pitch, then uh, if not join in, you might at least be able to acknowledge why we're doing it and what we're doing. No, definitely, we'll we'll give that a little uh, shout out as well because it's it, from my perspective, someone from outside of the club, I find it an absolute disgrace. Uh, as I did with Cardiff, as I do with any you know um, any similar issues. So it's mm. yeah, the whole uh, against modern football movement, as it were. Indeed, um, it's yeah something that I think your average football fan will yeah you'll find solidarity uh, mm-hmm. there. So yeah, we'll definitely. I've got a quiz question for you. Before for you it. go, which former Tottenham Hotspur winger studied Russian at Hull University? Studied Russian winger. It's um, not going to be Aaron London. I don't think he knows what a university is. <laughs> well, uh, he is from Leeds. Oh. oh that's very true. Mm. That's one all, I think, between the... Uh... <laughs> The, the Yorkshire, well, it, it, or yeah, is as, it, I, as, I, as I'm not from Leeds, I'm, I'm automatically um, correct and righteous. So um, I think I already win that. Anyway, you're going to win on Sunday probably. So at least it'll allow me a little victory. <laughs> so you know the answer to that? Former winger. Oh, good lord! Is he, it? He played. He, he played nine years for Tottenham in the late seventies and eighties. 
won the FA Cup twice, played for the Republic of Ireland, and his brother played for Hull City. Not that you would know that bit, even if you knew the answer, but his brother played for Hull City. I think we should probably know this, shouldn't we, Raj? But I think you've got podcast listeners right now shouting the answer. Yeah, probably shouting at me as well. I don't know, I can't think. Can you, Raj? No, um, I could take a stab in the dark, but I don't want to say something silly. Well... By not knowing the answer, I think you've already reached the silliest level <laughs> that, 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 that you should reach, so you might as well give us your stab in the dark. Um, I'll go for Chris Waddle. Chris Waddle at university, that's in, that's an entertaining thought. Um, he's one of my all-time favourite players, incidentally, but no, he was a sausage factory worker, wasn't he, in Newcastle during those... Um, <laughs> no, it's true. That's what he did. He was. He, that's, he, not, he, that's not a euphemism, there, Matt. No. No, no. It's the absolute. You know, I appreciate. It. That's what it sounds like. It's the absolute truth. He worked in a sausage factory when he didn't get a footballing apprenticeship, and he signed for. He was playing for the, the Geordie side, Tower Law Town, and he signed for Newcastle when he was about nineteen. No, the answer is Tony Galvin. Oh. Um, played for Spurs from I think seventy-eight to eighty-eight, um, something like that. Played in both FA Cup final wins of the year. This was a fringe player by the time. You got beat by Coventry in '87, and then played for Ireland in the '88 European Championships. He's from he's, he was born in Huddersfield, but he was raised in the Ghoul area of East Yorkshire, which is on the way into Hull on the M62, and so was his brother. and uh, And he studied Russian at Hull University and was playing for Ghoul Town uh, in the non-league at the time, which is where um, Keith Birkinshaw scout um, spotted him. So there you go. That's something that all your listeners knew, but you didn't. No, and that's uh, I, it means I can't now sing the song and if you know your history. So that's because I obviously don't. You, you can listen to any of Matt's material on the Amber Nectar. They've got a very good uh, whole podcast there. You can also read some of their material. It's a great website. Uh, I'll just say that tomorrow, Thursday, on the website is the full story of that 1-0 victory for Tottenham in 78 with a dubious Steve Perryman goal that helped... Spurs to promotion and remains, as we speak, the last league goal scored by Spurs against Hull City at White Hart Lane. That will be on Amber Nectar tomorrow morning. Well, there we go. We'll tweet that out before we uh, break that hoodoo on the weekend. So, I mean, looking at how Spurs are going to set out against Hull, um, given at what Matt's just told us there, Raj, I mean, how can you see us setting up? Um, Who can you see us selecting? And, uh, I mean, do you think we're going to... I mean, one of the points that people have raised quite a lot recently is, you know, Holtby, Sigurdsson, Eriksson. Um, who do we play? Um, I think um, our system almost, when he, when he said they played 4-4-1-1, it almost uh, it's, it suits us down to the ground, given that that means they've got two players that are, that are the backbone of their side literally going forwards. So they're two players, and if we stop, then we've, we've got the upper hand already. So if they've got, if you imagine them, playing in that system just plotted down as they would be on paper. The player that's playing number 10, Sonny Aluko, he'll be somebody that Sandro should be able to track. And after his performance against Villa, I really hope he starts. So if, if Sandro was to play there and mark him out of the game and make sure he gets the least amount of possession as possible and we, we maximise possession on the wing so that their wide men don't have the impetus to go forwards as well. The only other player that we've got to stop then is Tom Huddleston, who's like to drop deeper past halfway and dictate play from there as we know we enjoy to. So who that falls upon then is the player that we've got playing number 10. So that means that number 10's got a dual role then of picking him up as well as playing when we've got the ball. So given that that's the case, I'd almost feel that Holtby's got more of a more of a, 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 
more suited to that role of being defensive as well as attacking than than Ericsson does, because I'm I'm more inclined to think that Ericsson's likely to drop off uh, Huddleston and not want to to stick his boot in. Whereas we know that Holtby will quite happily dive into him all day, which is exactly what you need against Tom Huddleston. Because if if there's any sort of pace or harrying on him while he's in possession then he's less likely to be effective. Well, I was going to say, I mean, we've, we've seen this countless times ourselves. Surely we know, you know, I mean, their major, for, their major threat um, is Huddlestone in terms of where their play is going to come from. And I think given the sort of the competitive style of midfield we've got, I, I can't really see Huddlestone having much joy against us, to be honest. Yeah, it's exactly the type of game that he used to struggle in um, when we used to play him. Um, I mean, I think... What we need to do is make sure that he's not given any sort of space because he is the type of player that has fantastic vision and can play a good pass. And we've, we do have the tendency to, to, with our high line, be susceptible to a through ball as well. And I mean, just going back to, to one of his last performances for us against Man City, he, the through ball he played to Gareth Bale for him to score against City was fantastic. And that's indicative of something that he can do with either foot and in half a second of, of vision, he can pick that sort of pass off. So, um, yeah, he, he's definitely somebody that we should be keeping keeping our eyes on and making sure he doesn't get the ball. I mean, we, we touched on it at the very start of the pod, um, but didn't really go into it too much. In terms of the Lamella, Lennon, Townsend conundrum, I mean, I think it's going to be very hard at the moment to drop Andrus Townsend. But at the same time, for me, I mean, Eric Lamella is a, is another issue for now. I, you know, I, I think the lad still needs some time to adapt, and I, I think it's going to be silly to chuck, chuck him straight into the team, especially when we got Aaron Lennon back. So, I mean, I'd almost be tempted to say to move Tanzan over to the left, but are we going to lose some of the hard work that he's obviously been putting into play on this right-sided role if we were to move most- him over to the left? Um, I think that's possible, but I think what's more likely to happen is that Aaron Lennon will then play on the left. Um, I'm not too sure where Nasser Chadley's at. I think he's he came back from injury and then he wasn't in the squad for Villa, so maybe he's he injured again as he as he travelled to to play against Sheriff. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but he I think on the the left hand side, I think Lennon will probably take there. That's where he actually played when he came on against Villa, and the option that then gives us is with with. Again, with the wrong foots on the opposite wings, so inverted as we currently are, they then have the option to swap as well. And that's something that Aaron Lennon's always done with no matter who's on the other wing to him. It's something he's always he's always swapped about with and played about with. Um, him and Gareth Bale did it to, to great effect last season. and he's, he's done it previously. So I think that's that's a good way of going forward. I, 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 as I've said previously, Aaron Lennon is in danger of... of losing his position to somebody who, who maybe isn't quite as effective as he is. Um, just because he doesn't score goals doesn't mean he's he's not worthy of being in the side. What else he brings to us and the, the other work he does perhaps off the ball and and while he's while he's got the ball further up the field is, is something that perhaps pushes him above somebody like Townsend at the moment. But well, Lamella's concerned, as we've said previously, it might be until maybe after Christmas that, that he really... Has to, has to bed in. Um, I can't see him becoming a first-team regular until then, just purely because he he's going to have more time to, to bed in over that period in, in Europa League games. And then when the fixture list uh, gets um, gets congested around then, we'll, um, we'll probably see, start seeing more of him. 
I've got to say some very good news as well that we've seen that Adebayor has actually made the squad for the Sheriff match. Um, he's on the plane out to Moldova. Uh, I, I think that's only a brilliant thing for the team personally. I, I, having having Adebayor in some of these games, like especially against like Chelsea when we played them the other week, um, having Adebayor playing behind Soldado or well, albeit you know maybe Defoe, should he ever get the call up again. It's only going to be, you know, great news having that option to play someone with Adebayor's kind of style as opposed to Ericsson or Holtby um, will be, I don't know, I think of massive benefit to the team, wouldn't you say? Yeah, completely. I mean, um, the way in which we're operating this season is to, to be able to compete in all four competitions that we're in. So to have three strikers who, who can do a job would be fantastic because that means we can always have one that's fresh for a game so we can prioritise that the competition in which we want to play Soldado, we'll be able to have the fur playing a lion's share of his games wherever. And if we've got somebody like Adibayo who's going to be fit and who's going to be, be getting match practice here, there and everywhere in, in Carlin Cup games or the odd the odd performance in, in the Europa League, it'll be fantastic. I, I personally really want to see him start um, because what the longer he doesn't play in competitive competition for us, the more rusty he will get. So if, if if we throw him in as soon as possible against, admittedly, what is a, a much weaker opposition in Sheriff, if he's then got the supporting cast of Lennon and Lamella playing around him and, and probably Holtby behind him or even perhaps Ericsson after he, he didn't really play on the weekend, it should really help him. He should be able to, to, to thrive a little bit more than he did last season where the um, the focus was more on getting Gareth Bale the ball. So um, I really do hope he, he finds his feet and um, he, he gets some form back. And I'm delighted that he's, he's travelled and is, is back integrated into the first team. And as we've touched on previously, the reasons for which he's, he's not really featured this season are nothing to do with football. So it's, it's not something we can ever um, hold against him as far as I'm concerned. No, I'm really happy to uh, happy to have him back in the team. I think he's a I think he's a major asset to us. People people are often keen to forget, you know, the actual level of quality that he does possess when he wants to. So there we go. Um, I mean, there's, I think there's one last thing we uh, need to touch on that we probably didn't at the start, which we could have done. Um, was the kind of shake up in our defence? Carl Norton dropped. Um, probably the music too. A lot of Spurs fans' ears. Um, Including ours, I think. Vertonghen putting at the left and Kiriches, um in, in the centre. Right, he says Kiriches. He, he tw- did you hear his tweet? Um, the Spurs official didn't ask. A lot of people said Kirikesh. Some have said Kiriches. But it's Kiriches. If you say so, that, that just sounded like a noise to me. I'm going to find you this tweet. And I'm, I'm, gonna, sticking, I'm, I'm, sticking with, I'm sticking with Kirikesh. It's not Kirikesh. It's not. That's, I'm going for that. That's that's mine. That's a place in Morocco, isn't it? Is it? But uh, no, I, that's just me. That was like an. Alf, <laughs> it was a bit of an Alf Garnet joke, wasn't it? That one. Um, Christ, I've made a monkey joke. I've made that joke. Uh, what's what's happened to this place? Tommy Robinson. That's what's happened. So I'm, oh, I'm fine. Going for his job. Going for his job. Um, I yeah. With my dad being an RG, though, I don't think they'd quite like me that much. So. Uh, um, all right. We won the Falklands back. That's true. Mosh for the Falklands, as Margaret Thatcher <laughs> said. Um, I've actually seen a T-shirt with that on it. My mate owned it. M- Margaret Thatcher says Mosh why for the Falklands. Why did you ever have a friend um, that had that T-shirt? Well, why did you? I thought that was just a, a damningly 
horrible comment <laughs> about my personality <laughs> then. Yeah. How did you ever get a friend? Oh, right. Cheers. Because um, I went to school in Surrey, mate. It happens, you know. Um, but uh, public... No, not public. Yeah. Pub, well, hang on. State school I went to. State school, not public. Yeah, fuck that. No. Yeah, no, not me, mate. Not public school. No. Um, I digress. Kirikesh, he played in uh, the centre midfield and Vertonghen played left back. He did, yeah. Um, I, was, I was quite impressed with him. He had the odd moment where he didn't look comfortable, but I think you can allow him that given it's his, his first game in the Premier League and he's still fairly young. I mean, it's a massive step up from the league he's come from with style Bucharest, so um, that's understandable. He, um, he reminds me a lot of like a, a little simple kid. Just the, he, he always seems to have a smile on his face. He's almost as if, like, uh, if you're ever to make a Tottenham remake of Step Brothers with Will Ferrell and that other guy in, like, him and Michael Dawson would be them. Like, these two bumbling idiots walking about, and I love him for it. Because um, he, he doesn't seem to be that on-the-ball defender <laughs> that, that Kabul and Vertonghen are, that they're, they're icy cool, they seem like they're cool lads off the pitch. He seems like he's just a, a massive child, and um, it's really endearing to watch him play like that. And because it, it comes off in his play, because he had the he had a couple of little marauds forward, and then you could you can almost hear Michael Dawson on the sky cameras shouting him back into position. Mm. It's um it's good for him to get to to play against to to play alongside sorry somebody like Michael Dawson, um, and even when Christian Benteke came on, he he managed to to hold his ground. So there's there's no real sterner uh, challenge than him in the, in the Premier League really. So he oh. did well. I would love it if him and Dawson did something like, uh, you know, those like the two meathead characters in that, the old Mighty Ducks film, how they used to like grab each other and like headbutt each other. It's the sort of thing I'd like to see those two doing. It would be Chuckle cool. Brothers. Yeah, well, not them. They're they're, <laughs> they're not part of U Tree, are they? I'm, I'm not sure. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a matter of time, <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, another thing we probably shouldn't laugh about. Um, well, I mean, I think it was the Chelsea episode where I said one or two libelous things. It's your turn this time to tell the lie. I know I've been been on been on form with the filth this week, so maybe I'll get a nasty comment on the Spurs Statman website. I'll well, bring it back up again. Which, which, well, which links me very nicely to the ending. Um, in that, you can listen to all the previous episodes of Rule the Roost podcast on SpursStatman.com, where you will also find a host of Tottenham-themed editorial um, edited by Raj Baines, who is featured alongside me here on the podcast. Um, we've had people like Ben Alfrey write for us. We've had Rob Rob Brown, who was on his you know, Captain Calculator, Captain Casio, as we like to call him, um, He's now gone to Argentina. Like, yeah, he's going to be Captain El Clasico now, or Casio. Now he's in he's in Buenos Aires. That's it. Um, nobbing his way around South America. Making um, sure the ginger seed is spread to the South Americas. <laughs> <laughs> um, God forbid. And uh, <laughs> Good luck to him. Yeah, and thank you very much for listening once again. So, come on you Spurs. Nice resounding victory on the weekend and in the cup.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.